What is going on, mere mortals? You're listening to the Messed Up Origins podcast, where I explore the dark and disturbing original versions of the world's most iconic myths, fairy tales, and figures. In this episode, we're talking about Zeus, the king of the universe who's almost as famous for slinging lightning bolts as he is for slinging his godly dick around. Believe it or not, though, there is more to Zeus than his inability to keep it in his toga. Sure, the stories about his affairs and their insane consequences are a lot of fun, so we'll be touching on quite a few of them today, but I also want to shed some light on Zeus's rise to power and the various gods whose help he enlisted to maintain that power. Longtime fans of my YouTube series will recognize what you're about to hear as the audio from the original episode, but the track has been remastered and visual elements of the presentation have been adjusted for a seamless listening experience. Thanks for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast, where we're posting remastered episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Don't forget to sacrifice the five-star button to the algorithm gods if you enjoy it, and brace yourself for the Messed Up Origins of Zeus. Chapter 1, Birth and Ascension. Before we get into Zeus's time on the throne, we should talk about his rise to power and what he had to go through to sit on that throne. Because it wasn't this sweet passing of the torch moment where father and son got together, old pops finally admitted he was too old to be in charge anymore and handed Zeus the keys to the family business. Nah, Zeus had to fight tooth and nail to call himself king. But let's take a step back to the beginning. Well, almost the beginning. See, after Zeus's father, Cronus, had dethroned his father, Uranus, by cutting off his balls, he was told of a prophecy where his son would go on to dethrone him. So, not wanting to lose his newfound place as king of the entire universe, every time his wife Rhea had a baby, he forced her to give it up so he could devour it. To be honest, that part kind of confuses me because it just seems so unnecessary. I just feel like he could have locked them all up in Tartarus or something and it would have had the same result, maybe even better. Then again, there's probably something archetypal going on with the overbearing, devouring father preventing his children from reaching their full potential. Well, after going through this process with five consecutive children, Rhea, who by the way was also Cronus' sister, was sick of it. And who can blame her? If he's just gonna eat every kid she has, then why not just use a condom at that point? With the help of her parents, Uranus and Gaia, she came up with a plan to feed Cronus a stone that was wrapped in a baby's blanket. Meanwhile, kid number six, also known as Zeus, would be raised on the island of Crete by nymphs. There, he drank the milk of Amalthea the goat and was guarded by the Curites, warriors whose loud battle dance drowned out his annoying baby cry so Cronus couldn't hear them. Sometime later, after Zeus had become a man, he devised a way to save his siblings from the stomach of their father. Depending on the version you read, two methods may have been used, both involving an emetic potion. Either A, Zeus disguises himself as a cupbearer and serves the drink to Cronus, or he recruits the Titan Metis to his cause and she sneaks it to him. Either option brings about the same result though. Cronus proceeds to throw what? up his five children in the reverse order he swallowed them. Now that Zeus was reunited with his siblings, Poseidon, Hades, Hera, Demeter, and Hestia, they were ready to fight for their right to party on Mount Olympus forever. The six of them and many other gods waged war on Cronus and his Titan allies for the next 10 years, but neither side was able to secure a definitive W, so Zeus had to get creative. My man had to unchain six powerful monsters that were imprisoned in Tartarus, the deepest part of the underworld. Three of which were called the Cyclops, a monster I think we're all pretty familiar with, and the other three were the hundred-handed Hecatonchores. The crazy thing is that because those ugly bastards were also the sons of Cronus, that makes them Zeus's brothers too. Now that I think about it though, it makes sense why Hades called them his brothers when he freed them in the Disney movie. Brothers! 
Out of gratitude, the Savage Beasts not only agreed to help Zeus in getting revenge on their father, but the Cyclops also gave them their now iconic weapons and armor. Zeus was given control of Thunder and Lightning, Poseidon his trident, and Hades a Helm of Invisibility. Then, with their powers combined, they defeated Cronus and the Titans and cast them all down to Tartarus, where they would be imprisoned for the rest of eternity. At least that goes for most of the Titans. In some versions, Zeus actually lets his father rule over Elysium, a realm of the afterlife that existed separately from the underworld, where admission was exclusive to the most righteous of heroes. Definitely a better fate than the one he's given in the God of War series, where he's forced to crawl around the desert with Pandora's temple on his back, and then after Pandora's box is stolen, Zeus curses him to be tortured in the pits of Tartarus. Well, now that Zeus was sitting comfortably on the throne, it was time for he and his brothers to divide his new territory between them. They drew straws or something like that to see who would rule over what, and Zeus got the sky, Poseidon got the ocean, and Hades was left with the underworld. Now you might think this is where the section ends, but the Titans weren't gonna give up that easy. Gaia was furious about the way the Olympians had treated Cronus and her other children and enacted a plan for revenge. She mated with Tartarus, the manifestation of the deepest parts of the underworld I keep mentioning, to birth Typhon, arguably the most terrifying monster in all of Greek mythology. Here's a description of him by the poet Hesiod. He was terrible, outrageous, and lawless. Strength was with his hands and all that he did, and the feet of the strong god were untiring. From his shoulders grew a hundred heads of a snake, a fearful dragon, with dark, flickering tongues, and from under the brows of his eyes and his marvelous heads flashed fire, and fire burned from his heads as he glared. And there were voices in all his dreadful heads, which uttered every kind of sound unspeakable. For at one time they made sounds such that the gods understood, but at another, the noise of a bull bellowing aloud in a proud, ungovernable fury, and at another, the sound of a lion, relentless of heart, and at another, sounds like whelps, wonderful to hear. And again, at another, he would hiss so that the high mountain re-echoed. So Zeus had his work cut out for him, not just because of the all-powerful monster, mind you, but also because every other god on Olympus ran away in terror. And what's crazy is that at first, Zeus was defeated by the Typhon. The monster ripped out his sinews, the fibers that connect your bones and muscles together, so he was left helpless and unable to move. It wasn't until the god Pan stole back Zeus's strength that he could fight again and ultimately defeat Typhon, after which he chained him underneath Mount Etna. And now that our boy Zeus is finally sitting comfortably on the throne and has a few centuries before the next usurpers show up, let's talk about his time as king and his portrayal throughout mythology. Chapter 2. It's Good to be King Zeus has reached the pinnacle of power. He's not just the king of the infinite universe, but he's also considered to be the father of gods and man. In addition to presiding over the sky and weather, he's also the god of kingship, law and order, and destiny and fate, which is why he's the only god whose desires the fates ever really take into consideration. Well, that and the fact that he's also their dad in some versions. Most portrayals depict Zeus as a regal, mature man with a dark beard and muscular physique. He's often seen with his most sacred symbols, a lightning bolt, some Sometimes replaced with a scepter and a wreath of olive leaves. His home, as if this needs to be said, was believed to be at the peak of Mount Olympus, which stood so tall that it pierced the heavens. Now, while Zeus was undoubtedly the man in charge, ruling over the universe came with a heavy workload, so he had some help from the other gods. You already know about Hermes from our video on him, the messenger god who was basically Zeus's right-hand man and the one who carried out his divine will, but there were a lot more in his entourage. To start, his throne was guarded by four winged spirits, two male and two female. There was Kratos, who embodied strength and whose name you'll recognize from God of War, Bia, the personification of force, 
Nike, the goddess of victory, and Zealous, who embodied rivalry. Kratos and Bia were considered the muscle. They were responsible for things like apprehending and imprisoning the people that Zeus wanted to punish, like Prometheus or King Sisyphus. Meanwhile, Nike drove his chariot and would often accompany Zeus on his outing, so the spirit of victory was always with him. Sadly, we don't actually know if Zealous had a special job, but fun fact, his name is where we get the word zeal from. Zeus also had a messenger named Iris. She would deliver messages verbatim to the other gods. His sister Hestia would tend to the ever-burning hearth fire in the center of his grand hall, which, unless I'm missing something, is a pretty lame job for a goddess to have, and Ganymede and Hebe served cups of ambrosia at the godly feasts. Then there's your boy Pegasus. We all know him as the noble steed of heroes like Hercules and Perseus, but apparently he also carried Zeus's thunderbolts from time to time. Sitting right beside Zeus at all times was his high counselor Themis, the goddess of law and order. She would summon the gods to the courtyard of Zeus. She was joined by their six daughters, the fates and the seasons. Collectively, all seven of these goddesses were responsible for the orderly functioning of the cosmos. And last but not least, we have Metis, the first of Zeus's seven total wives and the tightness who helped him sneak his father, the Emetic. Ironically, Zeus actually swallowed her as a preventative measure because there was a prophecy that their son would go on to dethrone him. But what he didn't know was that she was already pregnant with Athena at that point. Now, while Metis was living in his stomach, she took this opportunity to make some weapons and armor for her daughter. Don't ask me where she got the materials from. But the banging sounds of her blacksmithing gave Zeus such a terrible headache that he had one of the other gods hit him in the forehead with an axe. And out from his head wound came Athena, fully armored and ready for battle. What's interesting about this, though, besides all of it, was the fact that Metis, who presided over logic and wisdom, continued to live in his stomach. And because the Greeks believed our stomach had a great influence over our thoughts and feelings, which anyone who's been hangry can attest to, Zeus's devouring of Metis is like a metaphor for implanting ultimate wisdom within himself. So how did the Greeks worship this wise, powerful, and violent god, you ask? Well, that is an interesting question. Because being that Zeus was king, he was believed to have a dash of influence over everything literally everything. As a result, he was worshiped in countless different ways by people all over Greece, whether they were thanking him for their good health or wanting assistance in an upcoming battle. Like most of the gods, he had his cults and temples where people would make sacrifices in his name, but the festivals in Zeus's honor were like no other. Those festivals, which happened every four years, were called the Olympics. Maybe you've heard of them, and they were equal parts religious ceremony and athletic event. All of Greece would get together to pay their respects for the man upstairs for a period of five days by competing in wrestling jumping and running contests, as well as art showcases. On the third day, so in the middle of the celebration, everyone would abstain from eating until 100 oxen were sacrificed in Zeus's name. Then after Zeus got his taste, the puny mortals could join in. Over time, Olympia, where the games took place, became a central spot for the worship of Zeus and a temple was built on the mountaintop. Within this temple was a 42 foot tall statue of Zeus made of gold and ivory that happens to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And before you ask, this is absolutely the temple that Disney's Hercules travels to during the Go the Distance sequence and where he has his meetings with his old man. So in summary, the Greeks went through a lot to make Zeus feel special, but that's what you do for someone that you both love and are scared shitless. Of. Speaking of which, it's about time we dive into the stories that shaped Zeus's reputation among the ancient Greeks and the modern world. Chapter 3 Godly Affairs now, despite being the infinitely powerful master of time, space, and all things that exist within them, Zeus had one weakness 
women. He quite literally could not get enough of them. His affairs make up a huge portion of Greek mythology, and the vast majority of characters that exist in that realm are related to him in some way. And as we learned in my video about Cupid, he's not entirely to blame for his lack of self-control. Cupid was known to shoot Zeus with his golden arrows and make him fall madly in love with mortals and goddesses alike, just for fun. That being said, we're not giving him a free pass. To be honest, I would really love to sit here and break down his unbelievably complicated family tree with you all, but I think that that's something I would rather dedicate an entire video to or maybe a live stream so you guys can just watch me descend into insanity in real time as I try to figure it out. However, I did want to discuss some of his relationships. The only problem I ran into is deciding which ones. Because while there's a ton to choose from, I didn't want to fill this section with stories you've already heard before. In the spirit of that, I won't be discussing how he tricked Hera into becoming his wife or seduced Alcmene to birth Hercules. Instead, we're going to focus on some of his lesser known sexcapades that are just as messed up as the rest. For example, Callisto, the nymph and follower of Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. When Zeus first laid eyes on Callisto, he found her gorgeous and just had to have her. However, as a follower of Artemis, she had to abstain from having sex. So on the surface, this was an impossibility. Not one to be deterred though, Zeus disguised himself as Artemis, so Callisto would let her guard down, then raped her. And to make it even worse, he got her pregnant. So a few months later, when she was bathing with the nymphs, Artemis saw her baby bump, became infuriated, and exiled her from the group. Callisto eventually gave birth to a son, Arcus, but soon afterward, Hera found out about the whole affair and punished Callisto even further by turning her into a bear. Fast forward 16 years and the poor girl is still a bear, only now she's being hunted by her son. Just before he can deal the killing blow though, Zeus finally steps in and turns Callisto into the constellation known as Ursa Major or Great Bear. Yeah, all that drama because Zeus couldn't keep it in his pants. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We can't forget about Leda. She was married to the king of Sparta, Tyndareus, whom Heracles actually placed on the throne. Well, in a situation that was particularly sticky, pun intended, she was impregnated by Zeus and her husband on the same day. How did this happen? Well, she and her husband partook in some afternoon delight and a few hours later, Zeus appeared at her window disguised as a swan trying to get away from a bird of prey. Leda opened the window and let what she believed to be a distressed bird stay in her room until she fell asleep. That was when Zeus made his move. Still in disguise, he had sex with Leda while she was sleeping and the fool didn't pull out. This resulted in Leda being pregnant with both Zeus's twins and her husband's twins. You would think this would lead to some confusion about whose baby was whose, but it actually wasn't hard because Tyndarius's babies developed in her womb while Zeus's developed in eggs. Yeah. Leda laid eggs, and from one of those came a son, Polydeucus, while from the other came a daughter who would go on to be known as Helen of Troy. That's right. Helen, the girl who had a face that launched a thousand ships, the girl an entire war was fought for, was born from an egg. Mythology is weird sometimes. But while we're on the subject of Zeus pretending to be an animal, let's talk about his affair with the unwitting Persephone. Now, I actually mentioned this one briefly in my video about Hera, so you may remember some of it, but I found some more details that make the story even more horrifying. Because despite Persephone being abducted by Hades and the myth being referred to as the rape of Persephone, she actually remained a virgin well into the relationship. That is, until Zeus came around. One day, he appeared in the underworld, disguising himself as a snake, and impregnated Persephone while she was sleeping. However, the baby she gave birth to, Zagreus, was torn apart by titans sent by the jealous Hera. Lucky for Zeus, he was able to salvage the heart and fed it to his lover Semele so the baby could be reborn from her, but once again, Hera got involved to make sure that wouldn't happen. Disguising herself as Semele's nurse, Hera gained the girl's trust enough that she felt comfortable confiding in her that she was having an affair with Zeus. Then in response, Hera pretended 
recommended not to believe her, just to plant seeds of doubt in her mind. Now, with Semele having second thoughts about the identity of her lover, next time she saw Zeus, she made him promise that he would do whatever favor she requested next. Word of advice, if someone you're dating ever asks that of you, get the hell out, even if she's pregnant with your twice-incubated spawn. Well, Zeus didn't have me to turn to, so he agreed, then Semele told him to reveal his true godly form to her. He begged her not to make him, but she insisted, and when he did, she was disintegrated by the true power of his thunder and lightning. Zeus was distraught by the loss of his lover, but the good news is he didn't have to say goodbye to the baby inside her. He took what remained of the baby's fetus and sewed him right into his thigh, where he'd remain for the rest of his gestation until he was born as Dionysus, the god of wine. I've already made this joke before, but after hearing all that, you really can't blame Dionysus for loving to drink. He probably had enough PTSD for three gods by the time he was born. But that's what you get when your father's the horniest being that's ever lived. Thanks for stopping by and listening to the Messed Up Origins podcast. I hope you found it entertaining, enlightening, and a little bit horrifying. Remember to make your sacrifice to the algorithm gods by rating our show five stars and let us know what you think by hitting us up directly on Instagram or Twitter where you can find us under the Messed Up Origins handle. And don't forget, if you're craving more Messed Up Origins, you can also check out my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork. Until next time, mere mortals. My name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first.